Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our morning service, Sunday 5th of May, 2019. This morning we are joined by Pastor Peter Lawler, who takes his reading from Exodus, chapter 35, and brings us this morning's message. If you've got a Bible, be really helpful to turn with me to the book of Exodus, the second book in the Old Testament. We're going to be at Exodus chapter 35. We're going to look at a few different sections, just in the... Uh, the chapters that follow up, but we'll start at the book of Exodus and chapter 35. Now today is uh, your gift day here in the church. Your gift day is connected to the opening of this building. I believe this building opened in uh, 1976, is that correct? Uh, Just after I was born, I was born in 75, so it's just a little bit older than I am myself. But what I want to do this morning as we turn to God's Word, as we turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus 35, is we want to focus on the construction of another building, a more significant building than what we have here in Cumber. It's the tabernacle that was built by God's people. And the purpose of the tabernacle is really different from the purpose of this building here today. As you know, I hope you know, I hope you have this understanding that the church is not a building. So Cumber Baptist Church isn't the the walls that we have around here. Cumber Baptist Church is made up of people. People like you who have connected to this local church. People whose lives have been changed and transformed by the gospel. And you've joined together as an expression of the church universal. And you've been joined together in this local area. You've connected to serve, to worship, and to proclaim the gospel in this place where you live. A local church is made up not of bricks, but made up of people who are filled with God the Holy Spirit and have connected together. So what you have here in this building is really just a practical function. This building is where Cumber Baptist Church gathers. So if you're going a few miles away here to Carrickfergus, where I'm the pastor of the church there, we have a church building, but that's where the church gathers. And this serves a really practical function because the weather isn't the best here in Northern Ireland, isn't it? And so it tends to to rain at times, it gets cold, and so this building keeps Cumber Baptist Church dry and warm when you meet together. It also gives you safety if you're out in the street just meeting on a Sunday. Well, there's cars going past and that's not always the safest thing. And so this keeps you safe as well. It gives you comfort. If you met outside, you'd be sitting on the ground and so you've got nice soft seats, a little heat coming out of the radiators as well here. This just makes ministry easier. You've got different rooms where the children can meet and have their children's church at the moment. When we come back into the Old Testament, the tabernacle had a very different purpose. It had a really significant purpose. The reason God instructed the children of Israel to construct the tabernacle was to house his presence. God's presence dwelt in the midst of his people as they journeyed along towards the promised land. The tabernacle was this temporary dwelling, this temporary tent that housed the very presence of God. Now, it was limited. God's presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies. But not everybody, not every single person of the children of Israel could actually experience the presence of God. In fact, only the high priest and only once a year on the Day of Atonement could come into the very presence of the living God. And so though God's presence was in the midst of his people, it was limited. 
It was always limited. Even when the temple replaced it when they moved into the promised land, it was always limited until Jesus Christ came. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and he cried out, it is finished, one of the incredible things that happened is that curtain that was in the temple that replaced the tabernacle that separated people from the presence of God was torn from the top to the bottom. And through Christ's death on the cross, through his sacrifice, people like us come into the presence of God. And so the presence of God isn't contained in a building or a tent-like structure like the tabernacle. Do you know where God's presence is? God's presence is in the hearts and lives of his people. God dwells in his people through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And so that's why we say God's presence isn't in the building, in this construction here. God's presence is in his church. Cumberbatch church, made up of people whose lives have been transformed by the gospel and who the very presence of God now dwells in. But the tabernacle, as we find it here in the Old Testament, was very significant for God's people at the time. It was also a visual aid. The tabernacle was full of symbols, different pieces of furniture in it, which taught about the holiness of God. And so as the people came close to the presence of God, they had to come to a basin and and wash their hands. They also had to come and they had to bring a sacrifice that was put on an altar. These were visual aids. These were there to teach the people about God. In fact, they were there to teach the people the story of salvation. These symbols that were all there in the, in the tabernacle were preparing the way for Jesus Christ coming into the world to help us understand his holiness and his sacrifice on the cross, which brings us into the pres- his presence as well. The story of the tabernacle's construction contains some lessons for us today as well. That's what we're going to look at. And as we study this passage today, we're going to see the kind of people God wants his children to be. What kind of people does God want his children to be? Well, firstly, God wants his people to have generous hearts. Let's start to read Exodus 35, and we'll start to read at verse 4. Let's listen to God's word. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and oink stones and stones for setting for the ephod, and for the breastplate. And so the people were instructed to bring things for the construction of this incredible building, the tabernacle. And you get that phrase in verse 5, whoever is of a generous heart. You see, the people were asked to make, make contributions. In the previous chapters leading up to chapter 35, God has given very detailed instructions exactly how the people are to construct this tabernacle, this tent-like dwelling for his presence in the midst of his people. And then here in chapter 35, he gives instructions that they are to bring contributions for its making. Practical offerings, they're told to bring some metal, some wood, some fabrics, and other materials as well. Now, they're not told how much to bring. It's a free will offering. He doesn't say, you're to bring this amount, and this person over here, you're meant to bring this amount, and then when we add it all up, it'll be exactly the right amount. No. Here's the kind of thing we need to build a tabernacle. 
It's a free will offering. Now that might seem like a really risky strategy. What happens if the people are instructed to bring their offering for the construction of the tabernacle? And once they get everything in, they count it all up, well, it falls short. They don't have enough wood. They don't have enough gold. They don't have enough fabric to make the curtain material. What happens if there's not enough? They're going to have to come back to the people and say, we want to build a tabernacle. God's given us the instructions. This is where God's presence is to dwell. But actually, we're going to have to postpone this product or this um, project. We don't have enough material at the moment. It's a risky strategy not to tell the people exactly what to bring. But thankfully, that wasn't the problem. Why? Because the people gave with generous hearts. Let's look at verse 21 of chapter 35. And they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And then we'll move down to verse 29. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. And so the people's hearts were stirred. And they gave and they gave willingly to the Lord's work here. And something incredible happened. Move over to chapter 36 and let's read from verse 3. Look what happened here. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, And the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. The people were restrained from giving their offerings because they were so much already handed in. People were so generous. They gave so extravagantly to support the Lord's work, they were told to stop. Stop giving. There is far too much already. Let's think about that as today. We are God's people. If God has done a work in our hearts and our lives, what kind of people should we be if we're God's people? We should be people who are marked by having generous hearts. We should be generous people. Do you know why we should be generous people? Because we have received incredible spiritual riches at the hands of a generous God. Let's take some time to think about what God has given to each one of us. God has given us abundantly when we think about our physical needs. God is a God who has given us life. He is our creator. And so every breath that we have, every breath that you have breathed out, even in the service and you've been unconscious of it, because we don't even think about the breath that comes out of our mouth, every breath you've had this morning has been a gift from a generous God. The measure of health you've had to come here this morning to meet together as a local church is a gift from God. God has met all of our physical needs because he's a generous God. But let's unpack some of the spiritual needs. 
I shared with the children, God knows everything about us. He knows the good things that we're proud of. And he knows they're horrendous things that we're ashamed of. And yet in his love, he has lavished us with spiritual gift upon spiritual gift. What has he given to us? Well, he's given us his best. He's given us his only son, Jesus Christ, who stepped into our world. Why? Because we needed a savior. And we needed somebody to rescue us. And God gave his best. He gave his one and only son. And Jesus Christ went to the cross. Why? Because he was willing to give his life for people like us. And he died in agony and pain so that we might have spiritual life. He rose again and he offers us what we don't deserve. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us to be reconciled to a holy God. He's redeemed us. He's paid us the price. He paid the price for our sins. He has adopted us into his family if we have trusted in him. And every day he pours spiritual gift upon spiritual gift into our lives. He has given us the Holy Spirit, a comforter, a helper. He promises never to leave us nor forsake us. He tells us that his grace is sufficient for all of our needs. And every day he pours generous spiritual gift upon spiritual gift. Sadly, things that we often take for granted. And as we think about all that our generous God has lavished upon us, our giving should flow from generous hearts. It should flow from generous hearts in response to the one who has saved us, who has changed us, who has given us life and is with us every single day. What does the Bible say? The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. And God's work and God's ministry across the globe has been greatly advanced by the sacrificial giving of people who have responded to a good and a generous God. God's work and ministry here in this place has been helped and greatly advanced by many generous, cheerful givers. Sadly, it's not always the case. It's really unusual to find what we have here in Exodus 36, where the people are told, stop giving. You're too generous. You're giving far too much. We don't need all that you're giving at the moment. Usually when it comes to Christian work and Christian ministry, there's a shortfall. Philip Rankin, a Bible teacher, the principal of Wheaton College, Christian College in the States, said these words. Often our hearts are in the wrong place. Our love for money is greater than our love for God. And this keeps us from living with the kind of extravagant generosity that God deserves for his grace. Why is it that we're not often generous people? We should be when we think about what Christ has given to us. Why are we not always generous people? Because our hearts are in the wrong place. On your gift day, it's good to consider our attitudes towards giving. It's a joy. It's a privilege to be able to contribute to the Lord's work here on earth. And it's a joy to be able to do it with generous hearts. God's people are to be people with generous hearts. They're also to be people with obedient hearts. Moses gathered the entire nation, the children of Israel, in front of him. And through God, he gave them a series of instructions. He didn't give them a series of suggestions. Here's what God said, so maybe you want to think about it, consider it, and decide what you want to do. No, when God speaks and God speaks to his people, he gives commandments. Instructions that he expects his children 
to follow. He gave the children of Israel instructions about the construction, instructions about the construction of the tabernacle, exactly how it was to be built. This was no ordinary building. This tent was to house the presence of God as the children of Israel traveled towards the promised land. And so, because it was such a special building, it needed to be made in a particular way. The children of Israel needed to obey the instructions that God had given them. And that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what we find in these chapters. We find God's people have obedient hearts. Let's turn with me to chapter 38. Apologies that I'm making you work your way through some different passages, but it's extremely helpful here. Chapter 38, let's read from verse 21. See how God's people constructed the tabernacle. These are the records of the tabernacle. Tabernacle of the testimony as they were recorded at the commandment of Moses. The responsibility of the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Ur, the, the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord commanded Moses. So everything that Moses had commanded him through the Lord, that's what the people made. Then turn over to the start of chapter 39, 39 and verse 1. From the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. Do you get that? They just didn't go off and do it any old way. They did it exactly as the Lord had commanded Moses. And then let's go to chapter 39 and verse 32. 39 and verse 32. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. So God had given a commandment and that's exactly what the people did. The people made the tabernacle with obedient hearts. God still wants obedience from his people. What pleases God most? So we think about as we live our lives in front of a holy God, What pleases God most? Obedience to his word. We find this in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. So what pleases God more? The the religious dealings, the religious actions, the religious behavior that we go through? Is that what pleases the Lord? No. It's our obedience to his word. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. That is what God wants from his people. He wants people to have obedient hearts. The greatest example of obedience ever to live here on earth is God's son, Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 2, we're told that Jesus was obedient to his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph. And not only was he obedient to his earthly parents in all things, he was obedient to his heavenly Father, God the Father. He never sinned. In fact, he was obedient even unto death, as the scripture tells us. And so in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he thought about the agony that lay ahead of him, what did he say to his heavenly Father? Not my will, but your will be done. He was obedient even to death. And so as Jesus Christ lived here on earth, he was obedient in all things. 
And that's what he expects from his followers as well. And so Jesus said to his followers in John chapter 14, he said these words that are on the screen. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. What is the sign that you love Jesus Christ? What is the sign that you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, that you will keep his word? The things that he has taught us to do, the things he has taught us as a way of living our lives, if we keep those things, we really love him. That's the proof that we are obedient people. Christians should be characterized by obedient hearts, not out of duty, not out of fear, but we should do it out of a love for our Savior because life works best when we're obedient. Let me say that again. Life works best when we are obedient to the word of God. And the greatest proof of that is back in the Garden of Eden. You know that story? I'm sure you're all familiar with it. There right at the start, God had created a world that was perfect. He had created a man and a woman who were perfect as well, Adam and Eve. They lived in a wonderful place, enjoying the very presence of God. And God had given them a very simple instruction, a very simple command. They could eat of any tree in the garden except one in the middle, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happens in Genesis 3? Adam and Eve disobey the word of God. They disobey his good word. They take from the tree because they want to be like God. They want to have the authority to do whatever they want. And sin comes into the world and we are still living with the mess of it today. Our world is in a mess today because people disobeyed the good word of God. And so when you disobey God's word, when you have disobedient hearts, life's a mess. Life has consequences that we suffer with. How does life work best when we come with obedient hearts? Do you know every area of our life should be marked by having obedient hearts? We need to be obedient people. Let's think about different aspects of our life. Our home life should be marked by obedience. I am a husband. I am a husband to Joanne. We have been married for 19 years this year. We celebrate our 19th wedding anniversary. God's word gives me instructions for how I should live in my home married to my wife, Joanne. What does it say? Well, in Ephesians, we find some of the most challenging words in Scripture. There are words for husbands giving us commandments about how we should treat our wives. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So as I live in my house married to Joanne, God's commandment, his good word for me is I should love her in a sacrificial way. I should love Joanne the same way Christ loved us, the church, and gave his life for it. That is what I am instructed to do. And when I live, love my wife in a sacrificial way, life works best. And then she loves me back in a loving, gracious, kind way, as Scripture teaches us to love one another. Our marriage works best. And life works best as well. I'm also a parent. I'm a parent to three daughters, Josie, Ruby, and Molly. You can pray for me. I live in a house with four women. I need prayers. No, no, no. They have to put up with me. But I'm a father to three daughters. What does scripture say? Well, it tells me to love my children. But it also says to fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't act in such a way that you stir up aggravation amongst your children. Don't provoke them to anger. 
And so as I parent my children, yes, I parent them with authority. I parent them with love. I demonstrate grace because I'm copying my heavenly father. But I have to act in such a way that I do not provoke them to anger. Life works best in my home life when I'm obedient to God's word. How are my children to live in the home? Well, the commandments say, honor your father and your mother. It's a difficult one for children. We're all children at some stage. That's a different one. But life works best when everybody in the home is being obedient to God. Why? Because God knows what's best for us. And so we need to live, if we're believers, we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, people who live in our homes with obedient hearts, obedient to the word of Scripture. Let's think about work life. If you're a bit younger, school life, if you're in school or university, how are you to live in that kind of context where you're called to be honest, that you're not a cheat, that you're not defrauding your, your boss of time or money. You're told to submit to those in authority, which can be difficult in the workplace. But as you live as a believer, as you live as a Christian, following the clear instructions of Scripture, that's how you're to live. You're told to work as unto the Lord. You do it with a, a generous heart and a gracious spirit. Why? Because life works best when we come with obedient hearts to what the Scripture has commanded us to do. Let's think about church life here. I've thought about my family and my house. But this is a family. This is a church family. And the church family should be marked by obedience as well. So as you meet together on the Lord's Day... You should worship God in an appropriate way. Now, the Bible doesn't give us exact instructions saying this is how your Sunday service should look, but it gives us principles and it gives us guidelines, and so we worship in an appropriate way. What are you told as a church family, how you act with one another? We are told to, to love one another. You're told to pray for one another. You're told to care for one another. You're told to carry one another's burdens. These aren't little options that you're given as a church family. These are clear instructions that you all should put into practice. Why? Because life works best when we are obedient to God's word. And so that puts an emphasis upon us that we actually get to know God's word. How can you be obedient to God's word if you don't actually know it? And so we need to spend time studying it privately so we get to know it and pray it into your lives so we can live it out. But also as you come and gather on a Sunday or maybe in a midweek when the Bible is opened and taught that you listen to God's word, you pray it into your life, you meditate upon it. Why? Because you want to live it out in your lives. You want to be obedient to the clear teaching of Scripture. There are two ways to live. There is God's way, and there is the wrong way. Let me say that again. There are two ways to live in this life. There's God's way and the wrong way. What kind of people does God want? God wants people with obedient hearts. And then thirdly, thirdly and finally, God's people should be people with generous hearts. They should be people with obedient hearts. But we also see in these passages, God wants his people to be people with willing hearts. Willing to use their gifts and abilities in the service of the Lord. See, the tabernacle didn't just need money for its construction. It needed willing people who were going to roll up their sleeves and actually physically build this construction. And not like the way they used to be before they came out of Egypt, when they were slaves but willingly, with sacrificial hearts to serve the Lord. You see, God is not like Pharaoh. At the start of the book of Exodus, God's people are in slavery. They're in bondage in Egypt. Pharaoh was a taskmaster. 
Pharaoh was a slave driver. He used God's people to build his fabulous constructions. We think about the pyramids, some of the wonders of the world. Incredible buildings. Built by the hands of the children of Israel, well, some of them were. Whipped and beaten and harshly treated. Did God's children build those fabulous constructions willingly? No. They were coerced into it. And God liberated them from Egypt. He brings them out through the Red Sea. He's bringing them towards the promised land. And he has an even greater building for them to construct, the tabernacle. Greater than the pyramids because God's presence is going to dwell in that construction. And he wants the people to build it. But he's not like Pharaoh. He's not going to force them into it. He's not going to take out the whip and drive them to the job. He wants people who will serve him with willing hearts. Did God need them to make the tabernacle? Of course he didn't. We know it from the book of Genesis. God spoke and this whole world came into existence. God doesn't need anybody to do anything for him. God could have spoken in the desert and the tabernacle could have been constructed just like that because he is an all-powerful God. But in his grace... And in his love, he involves humans, he involves his children in his work. What a joy, what a privilege that an almighty God who doesn't need our service, who doesn't need our help, involves us in his work and his ministry as well. And as we look through these chapters, there is no lack of willing helpers. Let's go back to chapter 35 again. Chapter 35, and we'll pick it up at verse 25. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had, spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them used their skills, spun the goat's hair. So lots of women were involved in the construction. What kind of women? People whose hearts were stirred. I want to help. I want a joy to help make this incredible construction for God's presence. The hearts were stirred and they came with willing hearts to serve the Lord. Then in the chapter 36 and verse 2, And Moses called Bezel and Olhab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. Again, we have some men here with great skill and craftsmanship, and they came because their hearts were stirred. And then let's go to chapter 39. And verse 42. Chapter 39 and verse 42. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. And really in these verses, it's right at the end. It's the end of the construction of the tabernacle. Everything was made. Everything was done exactly as God had commanded. How was that possible? Because the people's hearts were stirred. And they came to serve the Lord with willing hearts. Today, God is not looking to construct a physical building. God dwells, as I've already said, in his people. He is still building a church, though. He's building a beautiful temple of people. That's what the church is, a beautiful temple made up of people. The church is God's people, a living tabernacle, not made with wood or fabric, but with precious lives that have been transformed by Jesus Christ. 
And what God has done with his living building, the church, people like you, is he has filled it with different spiritual gifts. What is the purpose of the spiritual gifts that God has given to each one of you, if you're part of his church? He's given you those spiritual gifts to bless and to build up and to help grow his church. He's given different kinds of gifts, gifts of teaching, people who are able to open the Bible and explain it simply and clearly and accurately, to explain it to adults like yourself or to boys and girls in children's church. He's given gifts of evangelism, people he's gifted who can share the gospel in a clear way, who have a heart and a passion to to share it in the neighborhood and the community. He's given lots of practical gifts for the blessing and the building up of his church, hospitality, people who invite people into their homes, provide meals, get alongside people, maybe in a one-to-one or a small situation like that, and really encourage people in their faith. People with gifts of, of care, coming alongside those with needs and physical needs, just helping them, encouraging them spiritually. Gifts of service. You think even all the different gifts used here today in practical ways, just so that this church can function. Lots of different gifts. What's their purpose? To bless, to build up, and to grow his living church. We have two options here as well. We can willingly use our gifts to serve and bless the church, or we can fail to use them. Often people say, well, what can I do? Some people's spiritual gifts are obvious. What can I do to serve and to build up God's church? Well, God has equipped all of us. There are many different ways to serve God. If you're not sure, if you have spiritual gifts, let me reassure you, you do have them. God never neglects anybody. But if you're not sure what they are, go and speak to your church leaders. Speak to your elders. And with them, discern why God has prepared you and equipped you to serve the church. Often good to think, what are your passions? What are you excited about? What way has God shaped you to be a blessing to this church body? Who are the people God can use to help build this church? People who are willing. People who have servant hearts. See, the children of Israel constructed the tabernacle, an incredible building that housed the presence of God. But today God is building something greater, the church. This is one expression of it here this morning. And as God is building his church, he still uses his people. He doesn't need us. But in his grace, he has called us to serve him. And what kind of people is he looking for? Well, the kind of people we see in this passage, the kind of people we see on the screen behind me. He wants people with generous hearts. He wants people with obedient hearts who listen to his word and obey it. And he wants people with willing hearts who are willing to serve him and to make him new one. Let's pray as we think about this. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the lessons we can learn from it. Help us this morning not just to hear your word. Help us to meditate upon it. Help us to pray it into our lives. And help us to live it out. We pray for this local church. We pray you would build it up. We pray you continue to work in this church. That it would grow. That this church would be a shining light for you. And so for this local congregation, we pray for them. May it be made up of people who have generous hearts, who realize the incredible spiritual riches that you have lavished them with. And so in response, may they have generous hearts in all that they give in service for you. Give them obedient hearts. 
May they be people who not only know your word, but obey it. Help them in every aspect of their life, in their home life, in their work life, if they're involved in work, in their church life, to be obedient. May you bless them in their obedience. And we pray, Lord God, you give every single one here willing hearts. You've given them gifts to be used, not for their own glory, but for the building up of this local church. And so we pray that each one of them would use those gifts with willing hearts because they want to see your church grow. They want to see it built up and they want to see it have an impact upon this local community. Bless this church, we pray. And we ask all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.